You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 79 for March 2nd, 2016. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, I literally ramble on about several topics. That's all I'm going to say. So, go get a glass of strong liquor or your favorite soda, since this is going to be a rough ride. Oh, and because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. Hello, everyone. It's just me today, Chris Webster, at Archaeowebby on Twitter. I'm going to leave the window open that I'm standing next to because it's practically a beautiful spring day here in Reno, Nevada. It's uh, somewhere in the 60s. Kids are out playing. You can hear birds chirping. It's kind of ridiculous. But that's a good thing because it gets me into the mindset of my first topic, which is the SAAs, the 81st annual SAAs, actually. And the conference is being held in Orlando, Florida this year. Now, any of you who are listening to this podcast that knew me from when I worked in Orlando, not Orlando, when I worked in Florida, I worked there for twice for two different companies, both in the same year, um, I vowed never to return, uh, never to return to Florida. It's, uh, I haven't been back since. Um, that's not true. I was back once uh, to visit with friends, but that was because I had a place to stay and it was nice. It wasn't too bad. Um, actually, it was crappy. It was fall and it should have been cold, but it was hot and humid because it was freaking Tampa. So anyway, uh, I have a body, anybody who's seen me, I have a body that's designed for temperatures that don't involve humidity or uh, anything over about 70 degrees. So the minute I get in that sort of environment, I'm immediately sticky. So if you see me at the conference, don't come up to me and touch me. You'll just probably stick to me like flypaper. It'll be quite disgusting. So, um, But do talk to me. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, one thing I want to talk about about the conference is it's literally at Disney World. Okay. Um, now some people are overjoyed by the fact that it's a Disney world. Some people, um, are completely in the opposite direction and will probably never go to another conference again because it's a Disney world. Now, why is that? Well, lots of reasons, but a lot of people attribute it to, uh, well, you can, you can start more recent and go to Disney's massive corporate takeover of a lot of industries. You know, they own Pixar, they own ABC, they own all kinds of stuff. So Disney is, uh, in the eyes of a lot of, um, I guess for lack of a better term, hippie anthropologists and archaeologists, um, a lot of the people I hang out with, Disney is the ultimate evil corporation. Now, what they do with that evil, uh, I do see some of the good that they do with that, of course, um, and some of that good is just in the pure joy of some of the children and things like that that watch the Disney movies. I mean, they really do get a lot out of that. I guess there should be something said for that. But to to a lot of people, it comes at too high of a cost. I'm not really going to weigh in on this either way. Um, I've never been to Disney World. I've never been to Disneyland. Um, I've watched Disney movies, of course. I mean, who hasn't? I'm practically 41, so I've, of course, seen a Disney movie. But I just uh, – I don't think that's a reason not to go to a conference, okay? Now, let's talk about the conference because the conference in Hawaii was – an equally bad idea for different reasons, though. Um, I know a lot of people showed up on on Thursday in Hawaii and they were wearing, you know, slacks and a in a or a or a nice dress or something like that or skirt and then and then you know you know business clothes, good conference clothes. By day two, it was all sandals and Hawaiian shirts. Okay, sandals and Hawaiian shirts. I mean, it was an open air venue. You're pretty much you leave a room and you're 
pretty much outside and it was pretty nice weather for the area. Um, it wasn't very humid. It was nice actually. And I think by Friday or Saturday, almost nobody was attending the conference. I mean, there were people in there, sure, but there was a lot of people just hanging out on the beach or touring the island or doing something else. And for some people, perhaps, conferences can be your vacation for the year. You have to take time off. You know, maybe your company's paying for it. I don't know, but you're going on vacation and you're actually going to a conference. Now, to me, conferences are really important. They're important for networking. They're important for keeping up with uh, latest industry trends, for um, you know, connecting with your colleagues and seeing what's out there and seeing what's going on. And as virtual and as digital as I am, there's, uh, there's a lot to be said for face-to-face communication. Um, I mean, that, that's been proven time and time again, uh, even before the digital age. Uh, one of the most famous examples of that is Bell Labs, set up by AT&T, basically, um, back in the 20s and 30s and into the 40s and, and continuing on. They, uh, they set up this huge research facility outside of an academic institution specifically designed to encourage random interactions between people in the hallways they had absurdly long hallways that you had to go down to get to everything and it was designed to to encourage interaction and there's a reason for that because when people interact and people talk and people are in different industries and and have different different interests when they interact and see each other and talk then ideas flourish okay this is why we go to conferences we don't necessarily go to hear some you know random paper on uh, maker's marks on glass bottles from a mine site in the early 20th century. While that might be fascinating to some people, that's not necessarily why we go. We can get that information anywhere. We can contact the author and probably get the paper sent to us. We go for the interactions, okay? So I guess I'm, I'm sort of coming circular here because a lot of people who are going to go will probably go to Disney World at least once, and or at least some of the people will. And they're probably going to go with other people that they you know, are there at the conference with, not necessarily with their families, because a lot of people don't bring their families to this thing. I mean, some people do, but not everybody. So they'll probably go to Disney World, they'll probably hang out with people, and they'll probably be, you know, eventually talking about stuff, eventually doing all those things that I just said, having those random interactions. Um, But that's, again, not why we go to the conference. So I would encourage people to go to the conference, even if it is at Disney World, even if it does go against your corporate sensibilities, um, even if you read or watched a documentary that said that Walt Disney was a huge fascist um, <laughs> and he, uh, he did all these horrible things, go for the conference, okay? Who cares where the venue is? Go for the conference. I know that yeah, you don't even really have to support Walt Disney World if you don't want to. I mean, uh, aside from the government employees and the students that are getting it paid for, I don't know who else is staying in the $200 plus a night conference hotel, which is literally a Disneyland hotel or Disney World hotel. Um, but... Do what I'm doing. Stayed in Airbnb. I haven't actually booked it yet. I've looked at a number of them. Um, uh, that being said, I might have a room or two available because some of these are just really big places and there's no way to get around that. So, um, you know, contact me after the show <laughs> if you uh, still need a room and want to want to um, share some costs. But anyway, um, that's what's going on there. Um, also, be sure to check out some of the pub arc sections. I'm giving a paper. Um, I believe it's on Friday. I'll have to look though. The uh, the formal um, the formal schedule is not out yet, but the preliminary one is. So take a look at the pub arc sections, and also take a look at the digital archaeology sections. It's, sections. It's becoming a a bigger and bigger thing in the conferences these days. Is discussions about digital archaeology and and what that actually means. Does that mean just 
putting everything online or does that mean how you collect data and, and rethinking about ways to collect data? Um, I've got a whole podcast show dedicated to stuff like that, and that's the Archaeotech podcast, so I'm not going to get into it here. Go check that out. Um, it's on the Archaeology Podcast Network and on iTunes So and, and Stitcher Radio. But anyway, um, speaking of the podcast, uh, at the conference, I will be trying to get some profiles and CRM interviews. So if you're a CRM archaeologist and you see me coming, don't run the other way. Um, unless it's for other reasons, then feel free to run. But if it's because you don't want to do an interview, don't worry about it. The questions are up on the website at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash profiles. There's nine questions. I've done 50 interviews, and um, I think it's a, it's a really a really good way to get a sort of cross-section of the industry um, with those nine questions because the first half of the questions set up who you are, what your background is, and it frames how you answer the remaining questions. So it's a, it's a fun podcast to do, and I want to synthesize the data from that podcast um, for the first 50 interviews at some point, maybe present those at a conference and see what, what people had to say based on their experience and their um, education. So I'll also be looking for interviews for a couple other podcasts, possibly Archaeotech. So if you want to talk technology or some sort of gear you're using or something like that, or, or you've got a fantastic app that you just can't keep quiet about, and you want other people to know, and it's the change in your life and field work, then come up to me and we'll talk about it, and I'll put it on the Archaeotech podcast. Um, also, this podcast, I would like to do some interviews for the CRM Archaeology podcast. Those can be anything. Um, if you've got something uh, that you're presenting at the conference and you want me to come and maybe even record that presentation and put it on the podcast, I can think about that. There's some sticky issues with that, but I'm sure we can get around it. That's it. Uh, come up to me at the conference. Feel free to say hi, and uh, just know that if you do that, I might snag you for an interview at some point. So um, this is going to be a relatively short podcast with um, three relatively short little rants here. So um, that's the end of the first one, and we're going to go into a little promo for one of the other fantastic Archaeology Podcast Network shows, and that little bit might be changing, and I'll tell you why after this. in CRM, a weekly podcast. Ask CRM professionals eight simple questions. The first questions establish education, location, and experience. The last questions are a reflection of that experience, and the answers will surprise you. Check out the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash profiles. On that page, you can also request to be interviewed for the show. It only takes 20 minutes, and you don't need any special equipment. Let's get back to the show. And I'm back. So in this segment, we're going to talk just a little bit about the Archaeology Podcast Network. Also, I find that even though I run and bike and do field work and survey and go hiking and live at altitude and things like that, when it's just me talking, I tend to run out of breath. I don't know what the hell the deal is with that. But anyway, um, luckily I edit most of that out, most of my wheezing and <sighs> my heavy breathing, um, partly so I don't get sued, but also so you don't have to listen to it. So that's what editing is for. Um, Along the lines of needing editors, um, which I'll get into in a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm not getting ahead of myself. Um, first off, I want to highlight a new show um, that will be, I, I think, a benefit to CRM archaeologists um, and anyone, really. But this person, um, Emily Long, she is a CRM archaeologist, and she's doing a new show called Trowel Tales. Trowel Tales is her 
interviewing people and asking them questions and and uh, and, and all things you wanted to know about really kind of the lifestyle of an archaeologist. And the first episode um, that she's got up is fantastic. She did a an amazing job on editing. Um, it's a very This American Life-ish uh, style show, and it's just, it's phenomenal. So go ahead and give that a listen. It's not that long. I think it's less than 30 minutes. So go ahead and listen to that and uh, tell us what you think in the comments for that show or on iTunes or, you know, send us a message. Send me a message on Facebook, you know, wherever you uh, wherever you see it. So and send Emily a message too. She's got a Facebook page for Trowel Tales. All right, moving on. So these little segments, if you haven't noticed, if you listen to other APN shows, on hour-long shows, we've been putting in a break at about 20 minutes and a break at about 40 minutes. On on shorter shows, anything 45 minutes and under, we put one break in right about in the middle, or we try to. Um, at least one of our shows, Archaeology and Ale, it's run by a university, so we don't put advertising in there. Even though it's advertising for our network, we abide by their regulations and don't put advertising in the show. So... And I also don't put advertising yet in profiles in CRM, although I'm going to eventually. Um, I, I don't usually because it's only 5 to 15 minutes long. So I don't want to put in, you know, 20% of the show on a 5-minute show be an ad. That would be annoying. <laughs> I don't want to hear it either. So, But we will put in some sponsorships at the beginning, you know, if we get those that say, hey, this show is sponsored by blah, 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 and now on to the show, something like that. Um, but why do we need advertising? This is uh, just some ridiculous CRM archaeologist standing in his office doing podcasts. Why do I need advertising? Well, the short answer is we have 11 shows and no money. Okay. There's no money in podcasting. (laughs) It's just, it's the kind of thing where people just expect it to be free and I want to keep it free. So we've received a few donations over the last year that the network has been going and and over the last two or three years that the, um, well, three years that the CRM archeology span podcast has been going. And that's been fantastic. Um, I just really appreciate all the donations we've received. However, while those donations have helped us keep the lights on here and, and pay for the the $250 a year or so, um, uh, website fee. And then, you know, some of the other little things like some gear and stuff like that. It's not enough to really sustain a network of this size. Also, we want to do a lot more shows. Um, we've got at least three or four more shows we want to do, but one of the things that's really hanging us up is editing. And while I've taken on volunteer editors before, I don't think I'm going to do it again because the volunteer editors, while they did a fantastic job, they're volunteers and they have their own lives to live, which I totally understand. And they just couldn't commit to um, a consistent schedule. Now, part of the problem was ours and that we couldn't commit to a consistent schedule and get them shows in a reasonable amount of time to allow them to edit. Well, we're fixing that. And as we're doing that, and as we're consistently putting ad space in our shows, we want to start putting advertising and sponsorships in our shows. But I don't want to just have the usual Netflix, Audible, Hulu, things like that, Squarespace. Um, I mean, I will down the road if we if we need to, but I, I don't want to do that because I know you guys don't want to hear that. But what do you want to hear about? Do you want to hear about field schools? Do you want to hear about gear? Do you want to hear about, uh, you know, who knows, other CRM companies? Should we allow CRM companies to do sort of bulk job postings as an ad in this uh, format? What do you think? Uh, I want to know. I really want to know. Tweet us uh, the answer at Archeoebby or at ArcPodNet. And Archeoebby is A-R-C-H-E-O-W-E-B-B-Y. You can ask me that over a beer at the conference, um, why that is. And anyway, I really want to know what you guys want to hear because, quite frankly, we need to start putting some advertising in here. We've got over 17,000 monthly subscribers now to the whole entire network. 
And with those kind of numbers, we can start attracting some um, some real sponsorship money so we can pay for an editor. And that's the ultimate goal here is to pay for a full-time editor so we can focus on content and uh, and just putting out some really good information, some fun information, and some, some good podcasts. So anyway, that's enough for this ramble on the uh, podcast network. Like I said, tweet us, message me, give us some feedback on what you actually want to hear about. Uh, and if you are a potential advertiser or CRM firm or something like that, and you want to get your word out, talk to me. We've got some pricing models that I think are really competitive. We're also super flexible. That being said, we're not going super cheap either because I don't want to annoy you guys with ads for things if it's not actually going to benefit the APN in any way um, with the cash. I mean, if it's $50 a month, that doesn't really do much for us. But if it's a little more than that, and we can actually pay for some bandwidth, we can pay for some editing, we can pay for some other things, then we'll do it. So otherwise, it'll just continue to be free and we'll, we'll do what we can. All right, here is one more short advertisement uh, for one of the other shows in the Archaeology Podcast Network. Back in a minute. All these things we make no apology for the study of archaeology. But we don't do dinosaurs. Did aliens build Stonehenge? Did the Easter Island statues walk? Did the Vikings colonize Midwest America? What does mainstream archaeology have to say about all of this? Listen to the Archaeological Fantasies podcast and learn about popular archaeological mysteries, hoax or fact. Learn to tell the difference with Dr. Kenneth Fader and co-host Sarah of the Archie Fantasies blog. Check out the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash Archie Fantasies and get ready to think critically. Let's get back to the show. Funny beady blokes you will see are a staple of archaeology. All right, on this extremely short show, we're back for segment three, and this segment has absolutely nothing to do with the other two segments, but I wanted to talk about it because of an experience I had this weekend. So one of the things we talk about as CRM archaeologists and as archaeologists in general is looting. You can't almost have any conversation about any site whatsoever without a conversation about looting. Um, it's actually getting a little annoying, but it's a valid conversation to have because looting is a serious problem across the world for very different reasons, though. Okay, And now when I talk about looting, we're, we need to frame our conversation here real quick. okay? Because looting, I think, can be applied to different things. And if you're inside a pyramid and you're filling up your suitcase um, with gold and jewels, you're looting, okay? Nobody is going to deny that, all right? If you're, you know, a religious militant group, and you're, um, you know, taking stuff out of other temples before you destroy them, you're looting, okay? That's, nobody's denying that. But is it looting to take a complete bottle off a site that uh that we call a site but that somebody else who's lived here for 50 years might call a trash dump that's from 1955 is that looting is it looting if we already recorded it if there's a datum there if there's a datum with a tag that says here's the site number here's the date it was recorded is that still looting okay how about let's take this one step further how about you have a site that is uh uh, uh, an ethno-historic site. Let's say it dates to the late 1800s and um, somebody outside with a motorcycle. I don't know if you can hear that, but it's pretty loud. Uh, we'll let him go by. Probably edit this out. Probably won't because I don't have an editor. Anyway, so 
let's take it a, a step further. Like I said, you've got a, a, a ethno-historic site from the uh, late 1800s or mid 1800s, um, fully recorded. Let's even let's even go one step farther and say, uh, the odd case, it's been fully excavated. Okay, there's some outlier artifacts, but the bulk of the site, the the um, you know the heavy artifact concentrations have been ex- uh, excavated, and somebody. 10, 15, 20 years after the excavation, comes by, picks up uh, uh, a mid-stage projectile point or something like that. Something that's not a fully formed tool, but is clearly something prehistoric, okay? Or they think it's prehistoric. They probably don't know that it's an ethno-historic site in this particular example. Is that looting? And if it is, why is that looting? And if you said no to the first one, where it's a site from 1955, if you said that wasn't looting, why did you say that? Um, also, if you said that was looting, why did you say that? Okay. The reason I'm bringing all this up, <laughs> there's, there's a, quite a few reasons for this, actually. First off, framing the context of the conversation a little bit here, I had conversations with a colleague of mine over the last, um, well, probably the, the first half of February, the last half of January about looting. And, you know, she was of a mind that, that looting is not as big a deal as we all make it out to be. Um, and I tended to agree with her, quite honestly. People just shut down when you mention looting. They just absolutely shut down. And and the fear of looting has really hamstringed many much of CRM. Um, it's it's why most of our literature is gray literature. You know, we don't produce a copy of our reports that um, that really the public can see. Uh, even you know, obviously, if the report is for a project on private land, the public shouldn't necessarily see that. But on federal land, like here in Nevada, much of the land is federal land um, or at least public land, and um, I feel like it should just be a uh, requirement to put out a report that is um, publicly accessible. You know, redact all the the important site information but and, and some of the maps, but put out a report that says what we found. I mean, that's that makes that that brings our gray literature from gray into um, slightly less gray. So yeah, I understand not giving people direct access to sites because sometimes that can, quite frankly, in Nevada, be dangerous. You might go to that site. And it's an active mining complex now, or it's a, you know, it's a solar farm or it's a natural gas pipeline or something. I mean, that can be dangerous for people. So anyway, those concerns aside, looting has hamstringed CRM. It's a, it's a black and white zero or one binary conversation. It's either do it or don't, or, um, you know, if we do this, people will loot. If we don't, people won't loot. So, you know, blah, 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 blah. But I don't think it's as that black and white. It's how, it, of course, it's not that black and white. And one of the things that I was thinking after we had all these conversations, after she went home and I came back here, it just got me thinking that um, looting is is really subject to who you are and, and how you relate to, to the landscape. So let's take that ethno-historic site as an example. There could be descendants of the people who created that site living in the area today. And in fact, in a lot of cases, there probably are some descendants living in that area. To them, you're, if not outright desecrating, maybe they're not that religious, maybe they're not that religious anymore, maybe it's not desecrating their ancestors' you know, belongings or, or something like that. Maybe it's just that, hey, you didn't create that, you didn't put that there, why should you move that object or why should you possess that object when it's not yours okay might just be a property ownership type of deal even if you don't bring religion into this or or you know ancestor worship or something like that into this and the same goes really for um you know that trash dump in 1955 there could be 
somebody somebody is alive today that is associated with that trash dump and they may or may not care about it they may or may not know about it but if they were standing right there and said that's my grandfather's you know prized possessions that we dumped out of his garage after he died you know he spent his whole life collecting that stuff and you go and say well this is a nice bottle i'm gonna take it if you wouldn't take it while they were standing there then you probably shouldn't take it now um that's that's kind of how I see it. If you if it's something that you would feel bad taking or messing with or destroying or altering in any way, if the descendants or the person themselves were, were standing right there, then you're probably doing something wrong, okay? And in this day and age, we all have uh, smartphones with us. We all have at least – even dumb phones take pictures these days. So, I mean, hell, most of the GPSs out there take pictures. And if you're out in the middle of nowhere, you might have a GPS on you. So – if you don't, you probably have a phone on you. So just take a picture. Take a really good picture. Take a high-quality picture. Put it up on a log or up on a, a fence post or something and take a really awesome picture and put that on Instagram and show everybody. And then don't tell anyone where you found it and put it right back. So um, not only so you don't destroy something that is not yours, but so you can leave that for someone else to find. And that's where I lead into what happened this weekend. So... My wife and I were out hanging out in Mendocino. She um, she wanted to do something special for me after finishing a really long field work season. So we went and spent the weekend in Mendocino, which um, for those of you that don't know, it's a few hours north of San Francisco on the California coast. Um, it's a smallish town that's just south of a bigger town called Fort Bragg. And no, it's not the Fort Bragg in North Carolina. That's confusing to people that know that one exists. <laughs> but it's not that Fort Bragg. Um, Anyway, so we're in Mendocino, and we actually went up to Fort Bragg. Um, I had actually just seen recently um, a list of top uh, interesting or beaches to see before you die or something like that, and Glass Beach in Fort Bragg was number five on the list. And I knew Glass Beach existed. We'd been by there. We just never actually stopped. And turns out, I'm not going to get into a whole history of this thing. I'll link to it if you want to see it. But turns out Glass Beach was created by people, residents of the area, basically throwing their trash in the ocean, okay? Not very glamorous. They just threw their trash in the ocean. And over time, that trash tumbled around, broke, did what it does, and glass is basically um, silica. Glass is basically sand, if you want to look at it that way. And it turned into these, you know, really pretty, um, you know, little, very weathered, worn pieces of glass. And... So we thought, well, let's go take a look at this. We'll take some some pretty pictures and we'll move on. I didn't actually know that Glass Beach was was one tiny little location, which upon further reflection was probably just a trash dump at one point um, where people just went literally to the end of the road, dumped their trash into the ocean, and then moved on um, because the ocean's big. Why not dump trash in it? Um, anyway, so we're down the beach a little ways and we're just walking up and enjoying ourselves. And I'm looking over the side. I'm trying to find, you know, do I see any colorful glass out there? Do I see anything? No, I don't see anything. It's mostly rocks in that area anyway, so there's very few like actual beach areas. They're just like in these little coves sometimes. We get down to what's actually Glass Beach, and what do I see? Okay, there are, I think, about three or four middle-aged to older people with, you know, grocery, those plastic grocery bags in their hand, and they're literally just digging through the glass, just moving around the, the glass. And it really is all glass, by the way. I mean, there's very few rocks. It's mostly glass. And they're just moving it all around, looking for the pretty stuff, looking for the colorful stuff, looking for the bigger pieces, looking for everything that they can find. And they just, they had bags of this stuff. They just had bags of it. And there were just people flooding in from the parking area, 
keep in mind it's relatively cool out almost starting to rain and middle of winter okay (laughs) i mean it's february on the northern california coast so we're not talking about the height of tourist season and we've got tons of people over here just taking all this glass all right now is that looting technically it kind of is okay this is this has likely been something that's at least been documented okay i mean it's a park for christ's sake so it's been documented people know about it is it an archaeological site i don't know i honestly don't know but it's been documented at least to the to the extent that the city knows about it the county knows the state knows about it the world knows about it okay and it's a it's a tourist attraction now it's a it's an income generator for the town because people will come there to go to glass beach and stay there and and have dinner there and then generate income for the town because they're coming to see glass beach well there's no signs up that i could see that were at least obvious that said don't pick up any of the glass um it's just like signs that say don't pick up seashells although i have a different feeling about seashells because (laughs) seashells are regenerative okay shells are being created as these animals live and die in the in the deeper waters and then the seashells walk up i don't have a problem picking up seashells okay there will be more the ocean's making more of those all right if i'm wrong with that go ahead and tell me in the comments but the glass stuff though even though that's basically a trash dump and this is what i was talking about at the beginning of the segment this is a trash dump from the last 100 years a little further than that but the last 100 ish years is that looting you know people don't seem to think so because it's on a beach or because it's out in the open or because nobody put up a sign that said hey this is looting or nobody said hey stop right if you take anything over 50 years old off of public land you can get fined a hell of a lot of money okay that's the archaeological resources protection act okay um a lot of people listening to this podcast probably know about that if you don't we'll link to it in the show notes but ARPA says that if you pull anything off of a site like that, you can be fined, okay? You can be fined. Actually, it might be 100 years with ARPA, but either way, um, it's illegal to take stuff off of federal land like that. Now, is this federal land? I'm not actually sure. It might be owned by the city of Fort Bragg, um, and that might change things a little bit, but it is uh, it is a coastline. It is a, a coastline of the United States as well, so I'm not really sure where that lies, but I want to know what you guys think. Do you think that's looting? Do you think that's... And if you don't think it's looting, why not? Why not? And if you do think it's looting, why? Why? Okay? Um, I'm going to post this show in the Facebook groups of Archeo Field Techs um, and possibly the Archaeology Facebook group and, and wherever else I do. Wherever you saw this, it doesn't matter. Um, put a note in the comments and tell me why or why not you think this stuff is looting. Uh, send me a tweet at Archeowebby or at ArcPodNet. And we'll have a discussion about this because I'm really interested. I also like to talk about this at the SAAs. If you see me and grab me and want to go get a coffee, I'm not I'm not a huge drinker. I will drink a beer, a dark beer, but uh, I may have to drink away the fact that I'm in Florida one more time. But um, mostly I'm a coffee drinker. So I know, deal with it. I'm an archaeologist that doesn't drink that much. So anyway, um, this is a relatively shorter podcast, but uh, I just had some stuff I wanted to get out. So we'll have our our normal panel and and format back uh in two weeks but for now that's it uh like i said leave a comment um leave any sort of uh feedback that you want to leave and also if you know of anybody that could advertise with us or a crm firm that wants to get their name out there a little more you know to field text really because that's kind of who listens to this show then feel free and we'll uh, to contact me and we'll talk about it and we'll work out a deal so um and we'll investigate that job posting idea too 
Um, you know, we couldn't do something for you that you need tomorrow, but if you've got an open call for text for the summer coming up or text for the spring coming up, then we can probably talk about something like that. And we're probably cheap, cheaper than shovel bumps. Sorry about that, Arjo, but that's the fact. So, all right, that's it. We'll see you at the conference. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash CRM Podcast. If you like the show and want to comment, please do. You can leave comments about this or any other episode on the website or on the iTunes page for the episode. You can also email me at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com or use the contact form on the podcast webpage. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or tweet your questions with the hashtag CRMArcPodcast or you can tag at ArcPodNet in your tweet. Please share the link to the show wherever you saw it. If you share CRM archaeology related items on Twitter or Facebook or anywhere else for that matter, be sure to use the hashtag CRMArc so the community can see and comment. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. You can also type the name of the podcast into your favorite podcasting app and subscribe that way. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It helps us get noticed so more people can find our podcast and benefit from the content. Also, send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Also, please consider donating to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Your donations help fund our bandwidth and contribute to our editing costs. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US dollars a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.